Simon Wollstonecroft is a drummer from Manchester. His first band at school was with Ian Brown and John Squire. His second band became The Smiths. He played with The Fall for 11 years and continues to play drums for Manchester bands today. Johnny Marr nicknamed him Funky Sai. This is Funky Sai's A to Z of Manchester. Hi, Simon, you okay? Yeah, fine, thanks, yeah. Good uh, man. Looks what? like there's a bit of light at the end of the tunnel regarding this lockdown business. Do you think? What have you been doing in lockdown? I've been doing uh, mini blogs that I do on my Instagram page and sweater. Little stories that are connected with my book, You Can Drum But You Can't Hide. Done a few around the country, but obviously I've, to, I've had to stick in Manchester to do a lot of the local ones at the moment. Yeah, because we're not allowed to travel, you see. Well, no. I do miss the travelling. I could do with a haircut. Have you um, Have you ever thought of cutting your own hair? Uh, no, I, I would have done years ago. I, I had a number three on the side, a number five on top with the clippers, but um, I was told to grow it by my girlfriend. Um, <laughs> as I still got it, you know, I might as well flaunt it. It's, well, exactly, yeah. You're very lucky to have that full head of hair. Yeah, well, you know, I, I, I am lucky. I'm thankful for that. That you've managed to keep it. Yeah, you need to grow it very long then. Um, yeah, there's a oh, few no, people. <laughs> have you never had long hair? Did you never go hippie? No, never, no. Oh, you never wanted uh, to? Did you ever have a beard or a full moustache? I was, I was never a hippie, really. I no. Was a punk rocker, uh-huh. you see. What about spiky and, then? Uh, Did you ever go spiky? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I had a flat top, uh, like the... The rockers would have in the fifties. Oh, nice! Uh, GI's cut with a flat top on the on like Simpson or something. And did you ever go for a colour on it? No, no. Why? <laughs> right now, I'm happy with it. Yeah. <laughs> so you uh, never would, you never thought green or purple or? I'm not that theatrical. Not really. <laughs> no, didn't want to draw too much attention to yourself. No, I like to. That's why I play drums. Sit at the back, you see. I like Just it. Just watch everything going on around you <laughs> on the stage in the crowd. Did you never want to be um, a guitarist or a singer? No, I, I did start off playing the bass and when I picked up the drums when I was at school, but I got bored of playing it on my own and I flogged it to Ian and the bass. Mm. Bought it from Woolworths, fifty quid. Wow, that was a lot of money. Uh, yeah, it was back then. Um, Fender Precision copy weighed an absolute ton. But Ian got uh, took it took it over when we started the band together. So. Well, it was these sort of stories. So you were telling them on your Instagram, and so we thought, well, the stories need to be told, and, and so we thought we'd turn it into a podcast. And this is the first one. So we're going to start, of course, at the beginning with the letter A. Good luck, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, the letter A. Uh, well, I'll start at Altrium Grammar School. I was born in Altrium, not far from Altrium Football Club on Grove Lane. My dad was a GP. My mum was a nurse. They wanted me to get a sensible job. Passed me 11 plus, went to Altrium Grammar, aged 11, in 1974. <laughs> My dad I had high hopes for me, but once I got into the music and the punk rock, that all went out of the window. <laughs> that was the end of that. It, what, what was it that well, your dad wanted yeah. you to do then, do you think? Probably a doctor. Or something like that. But um, that wasn't to be. But uh, I met Ian and John in that first year. They were in my class. And uh, I noticed Ian in the playground. He was a big fan of Bruce Lee, like a lot of people were, myself included. And so the dragon was out. I seen him doing these poses, you know, like uh, karate, like Bruce Lee did in the posters. <laughs> but wow, he looks cool. Uh, we had the same haircut as Bruce Lee and a pair of shoes with these kind of go, red go faster stripe on them. But it was very impressive, and he got a pair of Doc Martens. 
by the second year, maybe, <laughs> uh, which impressed me no end. Yes. Because I wanted some, um, you know, I got a pair eventually off Gaz Smith, the cock of the school, bought them off it. <laughs> you bought somebody's and, uh, shoes off them? Yeah, a pair of docks, yeah. <laughs> um, I think they were 11 holers, you know, quite high up. And how much but, did you, you pay? Know, Can you remember? I can't. It must have been, I don't know, tenner or something. Oh, my word. Quite, quite a lot. But uh, John Squire, uh, I noticed him a bit later. My Ad- Adidas bag got nipped once out of the classroom. Anyway, I reported it. And Charlie Howard, the gumless deputy headmaster, came in with his cane and black <laughs> gown and went round the class interrogating everybody. Have you seen Wollstone Cross bag? <coughs> no, sir. What about you, Johnson? Have you seen it? No, sir. <laughs> and so it went on all around the class till they got to John Squire. He went, have you seen it, uh, Squire? And John just burst out laughing. It's dead funny. <laughs> and I thought, wow, that's pretty funny. Um, <laughs> I got to know him after that. Yeah, but wait a minute. Who did steal your bag? Well, it, it, never, it was never found. No. A mystery. So yeah. it's still an unsolved mystery. It is. I'm not no, sure no. if Squire did steal your bag. I think we need to no, question him further. <laughs> it definitely wasn't John. No. But, um, yeah, I mean, I had a good time at school, got a few O-levels. Well, were you in, were you in the, the same class with them for, for most subjects? Yeah, all the way through. Me and John got um, separated to the Latin set, uh, which was just a waste of time. We just used to draw cartoons at the back of the class. <laughs> Never used any Latin, you know, since. Ian went to the woodwork section. But, yeah, we were in the same class all the way through. Ian was great. He'd, he'd come in and start imitating all the teachers before the uh, relevant teacher came in to teach us for that lesson. So he was always he was a bit good. of a sh- bit of a showman then? Yeah, there were signs that he'd be on stage even then. He did have the, the classroom in the palm of his hand. It was dead funny. It was really good, I said. And, and John was the quieter one, was he? Yeah, he was into his art. As I say, we, we were drawing cartoons. We were like Leonardo da Vinci, sort <laughs> of machine, flame machines and stuff like that. Wow. At the back of the, at the Latin set. And I'd be drawing drum kits and uh, aircraft. I liked airplanes, you know. So what first got you into music then? I was listening to glam rock, really, uh, when I first started school. Gene Genie, Dave Bowie. I used to go on calls with my dad um, when he went on emergency doctor service at the weekends. Round with and show in his car. He'd leave me in the car. And I was listening to, you know, um, this week, another massive favourite of mine. Nothing like it. It was really exciting while he was doing his visits, you know. And then we move on to the next uh, patient. They go and visit them. They'll be listening to the top four. So, so it must have been on a Sunday evening we did it, you know, the emergency doctor thing. Um, I was into Motown. My mum always played that. Soul, Barry White, Earth, Wind & Fire. She liked the Rolling Stones as, as opposed to the Beatles. Well, she had a couple of Beatles records. Uh, Hello, Goodbye, the single she always had on, which is a great one. It was really when punk started that um, I, I thought, this is what I'd like to do, this music like. When we uh, went over to uh, see The Clash at the Apollo, uh, John and I, and we were massive fans. And once we'd seen them in 1977, we went separately, by the way. I went with this kid called Adam Sarsh. That was it, you know, we, we dressed like The Clash. We bought all the records. Uh, we were infatuated with them. And Ian's more into the Sex Pistols and the adverts, uh, that kind of thing. But we started a band and started rehearsing at the house uh, in Grove Lane in the back bedroom after we'd acquired the drum kit, which we liberated, John and I. Right, wait a minute. 
You uh, liberated the drum kit from... Yeah. So do you want to explain yourself? Well, yeah. Um, <laughs> we did music lessons. It was pretty boring, apart from at Christmas, when you could bring your own records in. All the time I was there, um, for, for the first four years, there was this little uh, Olympic drum kit, the red glitter one, on top of the cupboards. It was just covered in dust. And nobody ever used it. Anyway, I, took, I asked him if I could take it home um, in about year four or maybe the last year. Anyway, they wouldn't let me, so um, we took it anyway, John and I. We hid it in the swamp. Right, wait a minute. I think I've got to the bottom of where your Adidas bag is, and I really think John Squire's involved. (laughs) No, no, it's not his style. (laughs) Yeah, but you just told me you and him have just nicked a drum kit from school. I think that kid's got a lock-up somewhere. Yeah, but we wanted to start a band so badly. My mum and dad wouldn't buy me one, a drum kit that is. Because of the noise, and so. So how? Where did you did. put? Like, you, so you liberated, let's call it this drum kit, and then you. Where yeah. did you put it? Oh, in a couple of black bin liners, and and we hid it under these um, bramble bushes at the, at the out of bounds area known as the swamp, um, <laughs> until the heat died down, and they took it back to my mum and dad's, and we sort of my dad raised an eyebrow as if to say, "Where did you get that from?" <laughs> But anyway, I took a drum kit back to Altering Grammar when my book came out, you know, just, well, as repayment. Good man. I didn't mention the story and I'm very happy to take the Maypex drum kit it was. And they've got a great music room there now. I wish it had been like that in my time. But uh, we had to sort of learn ourselves, you know, like the Pistols had, you know, the DIY ethic. And my next uh, A, I'm going to go with Andrew Berry. A friend of mine, a hairdresser, is in Australia now, in Sydney. I was in a band with him called The Weeds a bit later on, uh, about 1984, I think. And he was a guy who introduced or set the meeting up between Morrissey and Ma, Johnny Ma, that is, who, of course, was in a band later on, but we'll come to that. But uh, Andrew Berry, what a great guy, you know. And I saw him recently. He came back from Australia for a quick visit, got a couple of hours in, you know couple of drinks in town. He, he was living in um, Marple Bridge at Joe Moss's, one of his properties. He was the Smith's manager, the first one. I used to go with Johnny in my mini 1275 GT, blasting out Grace Jones' album, nightclubbing, uh, warm leatherette, all that <laughs> on the way. And uh, basically it was after I finished playing drums with Terry Hall in 1984. I started getting my hair cut there. And he wanted to uh, start this band uh, called The Weeds, which in turn led me to being asked to join The Fall after we were on tour with The Fall. And Mark had kicked out the other drummer, Carl, and asked me to join. So, yeah, he's a conduit, Andrew. Very funny guy, great hairdresser. The other guy in The Weeds, he, he, he used to do all the colouring. They had a, a hair salon under the stage at Hacienda Nightclub, which was, you know, a local haunt for me from, from when it first opened in 82. And uh, he's got a, set, a chain of salons in Manhattan uh, called Micah Rojo Design. He was a bass player. Because of Andrew, I went on to join the fall, and it's probably why I'm still playing today, because of that. What a nice fellow Andrew is. Okay, my next day is going to be A Clockwork Orange, the film by Anthony Burgess, which we managed to borrow a copy of, a really rough uh, pirate copy, VHS or even Betamax, of a guy called Steve Pugh, <laughs> um, just about when we were leaving school. 
it was just made such an impression on us all. Uh, even now, when I see it, I think, my God, he, he was—he had some great ideas, <laughs> Anthony Burgess. But um, I had a mum and dad went away on holiday from the house in Altrincham, and um, I had a party there. Invited everybody back from the Vine Pub in Sale, which was like an headquarters <laughs> for a while. <laughs> And thinking nobody had come because it was a few miles away, but they did. And the house got absolutely trashed. Oh, no. People were throwing dog food all over the carpet, rubbing it in. And there was a baby grand piano there, got scratched. It was terrible. But Ian came and Johnny Marr and Andy Rowe and John Spire <laughs> to the party. But Ian was dressed in um, a clockwork orange, what, what Anthony was wearing, you know, the gang leader with a bowler hat, the white stay press, Doc Martins. White shirt, braces. Not sure about the cod piece. But he had a cane, <laughs> but he, he came in and he stole the show. Well, in. of course he did. Well, the signs were all there, weren't they, for him to be and, a front man? Were, yeah, people were talking about it for, for years. You know, after I wasn't expecting it, but uh, yeah, they helped clear up. You know, Johnny and Andy before my mum came, mum and dad came home from holiday. As soon as they walked in, you've had a party in here, haven't you? Clint <laughs> Ballista, you couldn't get rid of the smell of the alcohol. And the dog food, so, probably. No, I fancy doing that. There's no need, is Why? It? I mean, what sort of friends did you have? That's ridiculous behaviour. <laughs> Fair weather, <laughs> I'd say. Yeah, exactly. But at least your true friends helped you clear up afterwards, which is always good right. to hear. <laughs> my next letter is Anne Coates, which is, you know, played a big part in my life. A rehearsal room and studio there at the Beehive Mills on Jersey Street. Uh, that's where I turned down the Smiths because I didn't like Morris's voice or the cut of his jib. Uh, I was into jazz funk, you see. It just wasn't very funky. Andy Rourke, another A, he wasn't on bass that day. It might have all been different and I might have joined the band. You know, it's got funk, Andy. Very underrated bass player. He's in New York now. Uh, see him now and again. Um, hopefully we'll also go and see him later this year again. But uh, I love Andy. He's one of my oldest friends. The next day is ACR, A Certain Ratio. The factory band, who I'm a massive fan of, always have been. Saw them last summer at the Yes Club in Manchester. They've still got it. they never lost it. Brilliant band. Uh, when Sextet, the album, came out, me and Johnny and Andy Raw were listening uh, to the album constantly round at Andy's dad's. And Andy was learning all the bass parts, but it was easy for him to do because he's so good. Uh, I love the drums, and I took up quite a few influences off Donald, the Don Johnson, <laughs> ACR's drummer. It's just brilliant, and, you know, he's a copy of style, and bits of what he did years ago, you know, I play now, little drum fills or things like that. So, yeah, what a great group they were. <laughs> A for the Manchester Apollo, which uh, is my favourite venue, uh, still is, pound for pound. You can see everything. The sound's always brilliant. Spent loads and loads of time at the Apollo. Seems so many great bands, you know, the Jam, the Stranglers, the Clash, many, many times. The Specials, Barry White, Maze, Seal, the list goes on. I've seen some great things there. When The Clash came on, on one tour, because me and John started hanging around backstage and we got invited to push all the boxes in on the stage before there was health and safety. And one day, Topper Adam was late from London to arriving at the gig. They needed somebody to get on the drum kit, PA crew, 
and uh, they asked me to play brand new Cadillac. Oh wow! Uh, which the Clash covered P- through the PA. It was amazing. You know the sound reverberating around that place. Mm. It was like a drug, and I wanted some more. But I did uh, end up playing the Apollo with Ian Brown a couple of times when I was with Ian, but that, that's later on. I saw ABC there. That was my first ever gig in the early 80s. Did you? Yeah, and they Loved were... ABC. Oh, they were brilliant. I went for an audition with them in Sheffield. Of course you did. YMC, <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> what a lovely guy Martin Fry is. I think, is he from Charlton or did he live in Charlton? No, he's from Stockport. He's, he's a, Stockport. Yeah, he's a Bramall right, boy. Stockport, yeah. He was dead cool. I wasn't keen on the bass player, though. He had a bit of an attitude. But I didn't get the gig anyway. No. Um, not that one. They probably um, wanted you to wear a shiny suit. It won't have I been have you. Done. Oh, would I you have done? done? <laughs> yeah. I, I loved ABC. Uh, shoot that poison arrow. I know. Through, through your heart. And they had uh, a bit more funk. Yeah, exactly. Dave Palmer played drums with them. He was a big hero of mine, like he was for a lot of drummers in Manchester. You know, if you hear the drums on the, that album, is it Lexicon of Love? Yeah. The album. He's superb. He's a Sheffield lad. I saw Al Green at the Apollo. Um, oh, did you? That was good. Oh, he was, I was four rows from the front. It was one of the seated gigs because, you know, in, in the Apollo, you can either have seated or you yes. can have standing. But it was, and I was four rows from the front to see him sing that close was unbelievable. Right. That was one of the great gigs. And I he saw was, Barry White. There. Yeah. Oh, I bet he was good. Uh, it was fantastic uh, with the Love Unlimited Orchestra behind him. All young kids now, you know, in the orchestra. Just superb. I've never seen a man sweat so much, though, <laughs> uh, as Barry White. I think it was in the late 80s. He walked right up and down the aisle, you know, serenading the ladies. Yeah, well, I'll... Talk Gr- about Barry and the bees. Al Green was a bit <laughs> like that. He um, He kept throwing out roses to all the ladies. Did they? Nice yeah. Touch. They know how yeah. to work the crowd. Those old-time yeah. performers. <laughs> right, did he have a big bunch? And, and yeah, how he did. A, a lady. Yeah, and, and he just... Could, yeah, he was uh, <laughs> really charming, all the ladies. Behind the Apollo as well, the Apsley Cottage, which I know you know well. We know um, very well, <laughs> as our family have owned it for since 1993. Right, really? Right. So okay. It's a very long time that yeah. we've had that pub. I've had some great times in there. John and I, we used to play in those little video games, uh, Pac-Man or Space Invaders. Yeah. Uh, get a pint of lager and a pie with a bit of gravy on. You know, <laughs> we have Wax School to come and see the class usually because uh, they play there loads of times. I went for a drink with Ray Winston, the film actor. In the Apsley Cottage, he was a big Clash fan too. I forgot what tour it was. It was about 79, so it might have been the Too Many Sons tour, I can't remember. But I uh, got talking to him, he'd just been in the film Scum, which uh, John and me and Ian had heard it, seen it rather, and uh, we kind of like, blow me that, we don't want to go to prison. <laughs> That's what's going to happen. <laughs> the only bit but, people uh, remember is the socks and it's the uh, yeah the snooker well, ball in the... silent time. Yeah, it was awful. The whole... The whole thing, football terraces were fighting, the kung fu moves. It was very violent at Old Soon Grammar too. <laughs> John and I, John Squire, we were the first ones to get the cane in that first year or second year for drawing on the desks. And we got six of the best with a bamboo cane off KL Nodding, who was another deputy at. Used to like, you know, meet um, it out to, to naughty kids. Yeah, we had to get the sandpaper out after, you know, in detention. Just sand these desks for about three hours. Oh, no. And the, and the guy, the geography teacher, 
uh, I better not name him, but people know who it is if they went to, to school with, you know, my time. <laughs> he had a reputation for violence. And I used to get these uh, empty felt-sit pens and shoot uh, rolled up bits of paper in my mouth and blow them so they stick on the roof of the geography lesson. <laughs> Try and get them in a neat grouping. Anyway, he caught me doing it, and they came up to me, and uh, he snatched each one of these coloured pencils was about twenty, one by one. You know, my mum had just bought for me, you know, the night before. Oh no, sinister! <laughs> well, it was. Yeah, he, he, I think he was he got rid of him. I think because he got too, he went one step too far. <laughs> <laughs> Antwerp Mansion, that's my next day. It was a place that was new. Well, I don't know when it first opened as a, as a club. It used to be the Belgian consulate, I think, in Rochelle. Set back behind all the restaurants down there in the Curry Mile. Great big old place. Looks like Scooby-Doo's mansion. <laughs> and uh, these wealthy kids uh, took it over. Must have been about 15 years ago, I think, when it started off. But I used to rehearse there with a band. Uh, I was in at the time, called Carpe Diem. Some young lads from Sale I was with. Well, it was it was an interesting place. They had fire eaters there, sword swallowers. It was a bit of a death trap. Uh, you know, there was holes everywhere in the floorboards. All the wiring was hanging out. But for a while, it was a really interesting place to go. They did. I did have some great nights down there. Well, many nights. <laughs> what years? What what year was this? This was about fifteen years ago. Right. Okay. Uh, it's not there anymore, and I don't know what's happened to it. But it was a conservative club for a bit. We had pictures of Winston Churchill and Union Jacks. <laughs> you know these big sort of state rooms with leather settees that seen better days. But yeah, an interesting place. There's some very clever people work down there. You know, graphic designers and the like. And I think I might have done them. Um, you know, the music night where you get up and have a go yourself a couple of times. They shot a video there too. Anytime taxes is the next day. Now, just before I joined up with Ian Brown, after I'd quit the fall in 1997, after 11 years, uh, I'd had my daughter, Emily. I had to get a job, basically. So I thought this would be all right, you know, driving a private hire car. And, and I joined this company called Anytime. Uh, really good. I did it for about a year and a half before I joined Ian. When Ian got released from Her Majesty's Pleasure, I went to pick him up in the taxi and drove him down to London to Heathrow because he was going over to America to see his girlfriend. He asked me, did I want to join the band, you know, the way down in the car? Because mm. he'd heard me playing around at his house in the cellar a couple of times. Basically, that's what happened and I joined the band in 1999. So I can't believe you were his taxi driver. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and what was it? He gave me a good tip. Oh, did he give you a good tip? Yeah, oh, yeah, he gave me like double. What, it's about, it was about 180 quid odd back then, even then, but he gave me, you know, twice that. Good lad. <laughs> That's good to yeah. know. What was it like being a taxi driver? It was good. to work the night shift and uh, we had, a you know, little cards school going, you know, in the office, which is uh, down by the Bridgewater Canal there in Simply, which was sort of, what my patch really round Altrincham, the base there basically. But it was all airport work, and then people going to clubs in town and bringing him back late at night. I only got two runners during that eighteen months odd. Did you know they were going to be runners? Could you tell? 
No, not really. I took one from Altrincham to Salford, Eccles, it was. And he just got out of the car and walked off. And, uh, you know, I just thought, oh, I'll leave it. <laughs> you know, anything could happen, you know what I mean? Yeah. So, yeah, I was quite lucky, really. But I had a nice time doing that. I mean, any other um, famous driving. famous passengers apart from Ian? No, but um, one of the lads picked up Billy Idol from Manchester Airport and oh. took him to the arena or whatever. There's a big, I was a big generation at Oh, I used to have, <laughs> yeah, his, post, his poster on my wall. I thought he was so good looking. They were great generation X. I think John Squire, he was into him too. And you can tell on Stone Rose's stuff that he was influenced by the guy who did it, Dermot, was it, on guitar. But yeah, what a great band we saw them, uh, Polytechnic in Manchester. Yeah, we used to get the bus down to these gigs, you know, on the 263 from Altrincham and Simply. <laughs> Go and watch a gig, get back dead late at night, say, say to uh, my mum, I'm staying at Ian's mum. He'd say, I'm staying at Sarah's mum. <laughs> we used to uh, go in this little clinic on Park Road in Simply, all boarded up, deserted, with all bits of uh, medical equipment still attached to the walls. We forced our way in with a you know, dirty sleeping bag that we kept there and stayed there till the morning when it was school time again, like nothing had happened. But they've done it all up now. It's not a clinic anymore. That was exciting. Anything could happen on that 263 bus. <laughs> you know, at night time, really, it was dangerous stuff. That's like the 192. I don't know if you ever went on that years ago. Yes, I have. That yeah. was a dangerous bus as well. Yeah, a bit different now because we've got cameras everywhere and police will be there and a jot. <laughs> so, a bit safe. But yeah, I, I have been on the 192 years ago. I don't recommend yeah, it. Nice adventure. So I can't believe that you would have a sleeping bag. This is when you're still at school. You'd have a sleeping bag yeah. and you'd be sleeping in an old, broken down medical building and then you'd get up and go to school the next day. I know. Well, it was it was fun. We, we, that's what we like doing, going to see bands. And we used to go to Cavendish House a lot, where the university is. They don't, they don't have gigs there anymore. That was a good gig. Seen a lot of punk bands there. The Russell Club, went to a couple of bands there. Uh, Secret Affair were a mod band who Ian was really into. And they were good. But they, he was kind of into all the mod stuff by, you know, by 1980, 81. He drifted off one way. And, uh, you know, I met Johnny Marr, went with a group with him, Freak Party, and that's how I came to turn down the Smithstown. <laughs> but I don't, I don't regret anything, really, I don't. I've had a great life, I'm lucky. Have I got any more A's? Have you got any more A's? Only America, really. Um, when I was in the fall, we'd, we'd, we went touring there a lot. I loved it, and with Ian, but mostly with the fall, Done about three or four nationwide tours. I just like the whole pace of life there. I first went to uh, New York. I love the place. I just felt, you know, it felt like being in a film because it was a lot different than now. You know, there were mean streets in New York. Yeah, that was before uh, uh, New York had been cleaned up. I know. I just like the pace of the whole place. And, you know, it's the capital of the entertainment world. You know, that and LA. Uh, LA, completely different, but I do like, I do like the heat, a bit of sun, so I kind of like LA too. Although we always we used to walk around in black jeans and black coats, you know, around sunny LA. <laughs> People looking at us like we were freaks. A, because we were walking on the streets in Hollywood, and B, we were wearing these black clothes all the time, just like we did in Rio de Janeiro in the, uh, about 1990, weren't there with the fall? Same thing, you know, Copacabana Beach, where... <laughs> Black shirts, 
black, you know, black attire generally. Was that your own choice, or was uh, was there a bit of a uniform for the fall? It was a bit of a uniform, I guess. Apart from that, Mark didn't like anybody wearing shorts. <laughs> Not on his poet payroll, anyway. <laughs> Got rid of a couple of tour managers for wearing shorts or having and or having a laptop computer, you know, when they first came out. <laughs> Get some bleeding work done, you know. <laughs> That's excellent. So if you had shorts and a laptop, you were out. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Especially if you're American. <laughs> My next letter A, Abbey Road Studios. Now I'm not I know it's not in Manchester, but I've been there recording a couple of times. Such a great place, you know, that the, the atmosphere and that big studio number two where the Beatles did their stuff. It's all wooden parkade floor, nice big Persian rugs. But it was it was a long way from uh, the place that the Greenhouse Studio on Great Western Street, where I've gone with Ian and John and Andy Cousins and recorded the Patrol's first songs. We did a little demo tape, and it was about 60 quid. We did two tracks, they're both on the internet. Jail of the Assassins was one, and Too Many Tons, which was named after the 16 Tons tour by The Clash. We were delighted with the results. <laughs> Eventually, I ended up recording at Abbey Road with a fall in 1986. Did, well, Mr. Pharmacist, we did there. Uh, it's one of the first singles I played on. I was dead proud of that. It was a cover by the other half, American garage rock outfit. But what a great place. The, you know, the vibe, there is definitely a vibe. But, uh, it is kind of like a factory, and there's loads of classical musicians wandering about. Um, but there is a vibe there. And it's, it's, and it's got a love. I didn't know, but it had a beer garden. <laughs> so I went back there to visit Andy Rourke last year. He was with his new band, Blitz Vega, recording, and went to see him. And I never knew there was an outside bit until last year. But I've got fond memories of Abbey Road. And we did, um, we worked with John Leckie, who's Pink Floyd's producer, and the Stone Roses. And uh, what a great time. While we were there, Duran Duran came and into the studio while we were recording. We could see them <laughs> come in in the control room. I don't think Mark was too happy. Oh, no. But Steve likes them. Uh, Anley, the bass player, Duran Duran, that is. They were just coming in to check out the studio with a view to hiring it themselves. Yeah, it was lovely. We stayed in Swiss Cottage in a big hotel there and uh, got chauffeured to and from the gig. They obviously had a good record company at that time. Yes, it was Beggar's Banquet. We did a couple of albums with them, Ben Sinister and Friends Experiment. Then we went to Phonogram Records. So, yeah, I joined the fall, what Mark liked to call later, the glory years. When we got kicked off Phonogram, Mark said... Lads, the glory years are over, he said. <laughs> he was referring to that period. So I just joined the band at the right time, really. Okay, so that's all your A's. Next episode, we'll look at all the B's. To finish this episode, I need five tracks as a sort of soundtrack. So what have you got? I've got Blockbuster by The Sweet. I've got Gangsters by The Special A.K.A. I've got Hamilton Bohannon's Let's Start the Dance and a song by Was Not Was. It's called Betrayal. Always gives me a chuckle, that one. <laughs> How many is that? Well, I thought it was that four. Okay, the, the last one then will be I'll Be a Mother for You by Johnny Guitar Watson. The 
This podcast was produced and edited by John. Post-production is by Carl Svensson at Tadar Media Limited. Music by Colin McGrath, Joe Brown, Johnny Smale and Simon Wollstonecroft. And the artwork is by Lee Dyer. This has been Funky Size, A to Z of Manchester. 